I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 again. Matthew 28, we're looking at a series which I have titled, For Those Who Want to Be a Disciple. Because after all of these years of being a Christian and 40 years of doing what I'm doing, I have reached the conclusion that not everybody who attends religious meetings really want to be a disciple. They don't mind hearing about it. But the conclusion is, having heard it, it doesn't appear that everybody really wants to live like that. They like their other appearances of holiness and all of that, but not necessarily the dedicated life to living on God's terms. And if Christianity or discipleship is anything at all, of any persuasion, whatever we grew up in, if it's anything at all, it's living on Christ's terms. This is what he said, therefore, this is the way. Because he said, I am the truth, the life, and the way, and there is no other. So it's for us who profess to believe, who have made a profession of faith. We have said, I want to be forgiven. I want to follow Jesus and so forth. Then it is for us, therefore, to demonstrate what we meant by searching the scriptures, finding out what he said, and then making a quality decision to live like that. That's what the challenge is in being a disciple because a disciple is a follower, is a pupil, one who follows the teacher. It is the ministry that God gives is to point out what it is the teacher said and point the people to do that. You don't follow me, you follow him. I'm not the one you answer to, he is. And I have to follow him the same as you, of course. But in our text, the Great Commission, as we call it, Matthew 28, and the last two verses, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The word actually means disciple all nations, or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, do it like this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's what angers and upsets people, but that's what he said to do. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we want to continue talking about being a disciple for those who want to be. The first thing we mentioned in John Chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. So the word continue means to stay with it. You don't set it aside. You don't dismiss yourself as not being ready for that. Well, that's not for this age. You just do what it says. You're a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So you continue in the word. And then he said in verse 32, And as a consequence, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free, which implies that we don't come to the Lord free. We come to the Lord with a lot of issues, difficulties we grew up with, our backgrounds, maybe the way we were raised, church we grew up in, a lot of things that we have settled in our hearts as a way of life, we learn we're not really God's way. We were mistaught, misunderstood, or whatever. And so there is a rechanging. There's this refinement that takes place. There's a cleansing the Bible speaks of that has to take place. 
All of this happens as you continue. And this is what brings your freedom. And then secondly, we saw in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, he said that he requires total loyalty to Jesus. If any man come to me and hate not his mother, his father, brother, sister, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What a challenge and what a difficult thing that is. But we have learned this, that like the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you want to come to Jesus and be a disciple, you can put nothing before him. He is first always and anything else. You must despise the idea that you would turn from God to do anything else. It's a great challenge. In verse 27, he says that the same challenge has to do with bearing the cross and denying yourself. Taking up your cross daily in Luke 9, 23, he talks about taking up your cross daily, denying yourself and following Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 14 and verse 27, where you're looking, that if you will not do that, you cannot be his disciple. You can be a good church member. You can be religious and be acclaimed, all of that on this earth, but you cannot be a disciple. Now, it's not wrong to say that. It's not wrong to say it that way because that's the truth. That's not an opinion. That's the truth. Jesus said that. If you want to be his disciple, he said there are three things you have to do. You have to deny yourself. You got to take up the cross and you have to follow him. And your mind tells you in this modern hedonistic age and society that we're in, that if you're going to live like the Bible tells you to live, which is the way Jesus gives us to live, you're going to make so many enemies. People are going to so misunderstand you. You're not going to be anything like your dream that you had for your life was going to be because God's going to turn it all upside down. And you're not sure you want to give up all of that. You're not sure you want to change that much. I mean, after all, what would people think? What would happen to you? You could lose your job. You might never, you know. And so a lot of people, it's just a price you pay. The way that leads to life is not a big wide gate. It's narrow. And the Bible said, while many will seek to enter in, only a few will be able to. Didn't he say that? That's not an opinion. That's what the Bible says. And it's for us to warn, exhort, and teach, and so forth. The fourth thing last week was in verse 33, you got to be willing to forsake it all. In Luke 14, whosoever he be of you that is unwilling to forsake all that he hath cannot be my disciple. It's interesting, and just before we go to our last point today. One translation says, whosoever is not ready to give up all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's not that you have to, but if you put that before the Lord, you'll have to get rid of it. Another translation, the Williams translation says this, just as no one of you who does not detach himself from all that belongs to him can be a disciple of mine. Some of us, some of you have more than others. Some people have a lot. Some people have little. But you don't have to have a lot for what you have to keep you from walking with the Lord. The very little you have may be something you don't want to give up. And the thing you would have to give up may be something that will keep you from doing everything God's way. The rich young ruler, he was sorrowful at the words of Jesus to sell all that he had and give it away because he had much. And in his own estimation, his much was all about him. I mean, this is who I am. 
This is what I've got. This is what I have worked hard to earn. This is my reputation. This is how I'm known and seen. This is kind of my power. And Jesus said, and that's the very thing that will interfere in your decision to do everything my way. Because your money will keep you from doing it my way. Because money controls people. Now, you're going to have to get rid of it for eternal life. That's what he came to ask for. How do I inherit eternal life? You'll have to first start with what keeps you from doing things my way. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. There's a lot of people like that, good people. I'm talking about nice people, fun people in churches everywhere that just really cannot walk away from what they have, even though when they reach that crossroad where it's either this or Jesus. Instead of a cross being there where you crucify your flesh with its affections and its lusts thereof, you begin to make excuses because you seek counsel from other people. They begin to say, well, I don't know that God would want you to do that. I mean, you know, I know we said that, but probably that's not what it means. And, you know, after all, and, you know, this is an age of tolerance. I mean, come on. And so you begin to draw back. And then... Your religious concerns seem to wane a little bit. You become to be indifferent, maybe shallow, and worse, liberal. And you sort of become nothing. You just, you're walking around, you're a religious person, but you're really going nowhere because you made a bad decision that you've never changed and dealt with. Forsaking all is tough, but it's what people do when they have to do it, when it's an interference with the Lord. Now, Fifthly, John 15, if you'll turn to John, John chapter 15, I introduced this last week before we stopped, verse 2 and then 5 through 8. Verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine. And you are the branches. Now, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. There's not a handful of people anywhere in a church that believes that, but it's true. Without me, you can do nothing. And yet, it we're the busiest age of any age. No religious age has ever been busier than this age is, spending more money, doing more things. Yet Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Now, what you're doing doesn't count. That's a war. Because only what I want you to do will ever be called fruit. Everything else is just human busyness human inventions and designs to try to change the world for Christ, trying to do something for God. Now that you're a Christian, do something for the Lord. And that's what we're told to do. That's the program of the church on the earth today. But he said in verse 16, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. You realize this morning sitting here, if you're one of God's chosen people, now I believe in election. That part of me is Calvinistic. 
I believe in election. I believe in predestination and foreknowledge. If you believe God chose you, if you believe he brought you particularly out of that miry clay and set your feet up on a rock, established your going and so forth, if you believe that you're one of those people that God has saved, then you must believe as a chosen vessel you were chosen for a reason. There's a lot of things you could say about that, but in particular for today, he said you were chosen for this particular reason that you, in verse 16, that you should go and do what? Bear fruit. Bring forth fruit. To whom? Who do I bring forth fruit to? To the Lord. Romans 7, you bear fruit unto God. So if I am chosen and if I am God's with all the many things that are going to confront me in this light, the change that I'm going to have to be willing to submit to, the life I must be willing to live, the cross I must be willing to bear, all these things that are going to come into my life not only challenge me but change me. In the midst of all of this, I have to realize that as I walk through this earth, I am an ambassador of God, and I must bear fruit. Now, for many people, that means get busy and do something. That's not even close to what it means. He didn't ask you to start sweating. It's interesting that the priests never went into the holy place wearing wool. They wore linen. Now, there's another story of that. I'm not going into that, but, but he said, you're to bring forth fruit unto God. Now, let me ask you a question. What do we mean? We've got to have a definition here for bearing fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? The Bible speaks the fruit of your loins, the fruit of the womb, which means something is brought forth from yourself. Would you agree? My children are the fruit of my loins. They are the fruit of the womb. The Bible speaks of the fruit of your lips that give praise unto God. It's something produced, something that is given. Or the Bible speaks of the fruit of your labor, which would be your pay and your remuneration for a job that you have done. That's the reward, but it's also called the fruit. Fruit has to do with something that is given. It's the effect or the consequence of an action. How many of you know that you can have bad fruit? Paul spoke of, in contrast to the fruit that God wants from disciples, in contrast to the fruit we had as heathens. And again, none of us want to see who can out-heathen anybody, but I was the chief. I'll guarantee all of you, I was the chief of sinners. I know what bad fruit is. I know what bad fruit does. It kind of gets in your hard drive, and no matter how old you get, you never can get away from it. It's always there to haunt you, even though you're forgiven. The devil wants you to think that's still going to have a, you know, you never, no, you're forgiven, but the devil doesn't leave it alone. All those things you chose to do, the very consequence of choices you made, whether it was vulgarity, immorality, foolishness, nastiness, 
in your faceness. That's you. And what you did was brought forth by something inside of you that runs a show. We usually call that the soul. Has to be changed, doesn't it? He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. The Hebrew says he restores me. Because if God made me, he made a living soul. But anyway, this part of me that is running this outward form here, everything that I did, every choice that I made was an expression of who I am, and the fruit of who I am was very bad. Paul said, you were ashamed of the stuff that you once did, and I am, and you were too, and you are too. The things that we did are shameful. We would not only blush or we would be embarrassed to think that you did that, you said that, you acted that way, you did what? But you see, that's how you were known. Nobody knew you as a religious leader or a greatly convicted person. No, our effort was to be cool, to be admired for the nasty words we used and the way we acted and, you know, who we were with and what we did and all. That was the fruit of your life. And you think of this. In spite of how bad it was, in spite of how bad it was, for whatever reason, God saved you because you couldn't save yourself. Without him, you can't do anything. You can't get saved. You can't join enough churches and sing in enough choirs to get saved. It's all about God. But we were just full of bad fruit. And knowing the kind of person we were and how we're motivated and how we live, God saved us. You know what that's called? Grace. Marvelous and amazing grace. The favor of God in spite of what you did reached down through that mess because of what Jesus enabled by law, God, to do, by the laws of heaven. And he reached down and picked you out of that miry clay, <sighs> planted you in his garden, you nasty thing, and he calls you a saint. He puts something on the inside of you that is designed to change you. I think we sing about it. He's changing uh, some of us. He's changing me. But anyway, that has to do with the result of your actions. The consequence of your choices is what we would call fruit. And it can be bad fruit. And if you're a Christian, it can be good fruit. Let's look at just a few things the Bible says. First of all, if you don't mind, turn to Proverbs just for a moment. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 31 to those people who have heard about the Lord but refuse his instruction. Maybe they've been to church a lot of times but were totally indifferent to what was said because they were unwilling to make any changes. Has it ever been possible in history that people have attended church with no possible desire to change? Girlfriend, boyfriend, family. Easter, whatever, whenever people go to church. They didn't go there to do anything. They just went there to make somebody happy and see what's going on in the big house. All right? But here he said, verse 31, Therefore, he said, they shall eat the fruit of their what? 
their own way and be filled with their own devices. You decided, you made the choice, you didn't want to be changed, you didn't want God to correct you, yeah, 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 you shall be filled with your own device. Look at chapter 14, I think he said something similar to that, chapter 14 and verse 14, uh, Proverbs. In verse 14, he said, the backslider in heart shall be filled with what? His own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. A backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. That's what God said. If he doesn't want to do it God's way, how will he do it? He'll do it his own way. And the end of his way is death. There is a way. Twice it says in this book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of those ways are death. Now, this is a very narrow way, as you obviously know, and God's way isn't going to be something that people are going to be able to do with whatever they want to, however they want to, because God says when, if, when he says this is the way you walk in it, that's exactly what he means. Let me read for you while you're sitting there one more verse. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts. Maybe we need to listen to this a little more carefully. This is what God said to a rebellious nation that was about to be judged. This is from Jeremiah 6. A nation about to be judged because it has been warned, it has been told, the finger has been pointed, time has been taken to teach and to explain and to comfort and to love and the feathers and the wings and to come in. And they just didn't want to respond. So here's what God says. Okay, finally, you don't want what I'm offering. Here's what I'll do. Verse 19, he said, Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words nor to my law, but rejected it. If such a thing was true today, the same thing is true today that he said then, if people don't want to hear it, then you know what happens? Judgment comes. But that's the fruit of your choices. Your choices in opposition to God makes you an enemy of God, and therefore God says, okay, I've warned you, I've told you, I won't make you do right. If you want to go that way, you go ahead. But remember, in judgment day, I'm fair. God is fair. He did his side. He did his part. He told you, and you didn't want to hear it. So when judgment comes, he gives you what's right. You have to agree with that. And then a second thing is about the evidence of fruit. If you have fruit, there will be evidence. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you shall know them by their fruits. A good tree brings forth good fruit. An evil tree brings forth evil fruit. Now, we're talking about what produces the fruit is something on the inside. If it's a good tree, you get good fruit. If it's an evil tree, you get evil fruit because a tree is known by its fruit. By this shall all men know. Will it take any of us long being around each other to know where your heart is? It won't take long. You'll see, it just comes out. You can talk religious around religious people. Sometimes I meet people, places, and they find out you're a preacher, so they want to talk about religion. If I found out they're a pilot, I want to talk about flying. But a lot of people want to talk about, you know, things about religion because... Well, everybody feels a little religious. Some people have been to church and they feel like they've always been saved. 
no matter how they live. There's so much rotten fruit and so much stuff that God has to judge, and yet somebody said, well, that's not that bad. There's not that great of a need to change. You don't need to be all that tore up and convicted. You're no different than anybody else. Come on, relax. Take it easy. Enjoy life. And don't deal with stuff. Well, you can tell a person by their fruit. How about if a person has repented? Remember John the Baptist said to the Pharisees who came to him to be baptized in the River Jordan? You know what he said to them? He said, when they came here, they came in all of their pomp. He said, what a way to reduce the size of your church. He said, who warns you to flee from the wrath of God? <laughs> he was talking to some people that were under that wrath. He said, you go and show by your fruits that you have repented, and I'll baptize you. Now, how could you tell if somebody's repented? Is there a way to know? Is there any way for somebody to tell if the real thing really happened in your heart? Today, we're just glad you came to church, put you on the roll, give you a seat and, and a committee to be in, and hallelujah. And yet he said, let me see by your life that there's been a change. Show me a change in your life, and I'll baptize you. And so you know what? The same is true today, isn't it? There's got to be some kind of evidence in our life that the real thing has happened to us. And then you can read in Romans 6, in verse 19 through 22, you can remember some of those kind of things. How can you tell if a man or a church has wisdom? How can we tell how much wisdom is in our decisions with each other or with our business or the world or our families? Wisdom. Wisdom, it has to do with what you do. Knowledge has to do with what you know. Wisdom has to do with what you do with knowledge. You know, there is a lot of people making a lot of bad decisions because of a lot of bad wisdom. Your information wasn't good or your motivation isn't good. And the fruit, well, it's not good either. Listen to what James 3 said. He said, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Well, where's that person? Do you realize this today? As God is changing you, he does something in you to show you and teach you how to live and how to act. Things in your life like gentleness and meekness and temperance and kindness without partiality being fair. The person who acts this way, I would call a wise man. You know why? Because what he's doing is displaying what has been put in him that wasn't in there before. And that kind of wisdom comes from heaven. Well, where does the wisdom come from that's rude and ornery and vocal and in your face? I'll tell you one thing. Where does that kind of wisdom come from? Not from Sunday school class, hopefully. It comes from yourself. It keeps you like that. And being impartial and being kind and gentle and displaying godlike traits will forbid you from being a politician or from being political. How's that? Everybody likes to get wound up about politics and depressed over the results of politics. 
You know what? Let me tell you all something because I mentioned politics. We will live today. We will live tomorrow. If tomorrow doesn't come, we will live forever. And I don't care who's where or who's supposed to be pulling the strings. Let me tell you something. God is in control of man. And he that sitteth in the heavens has in his hands all things under his control. There was a man in the Bible who had to crawl around like a beast for seven years to learn that, that God rules in the kingdom of men. You know who he was? Nebuchadnezzar. Learned one thing, one, that God rules in man's realm. All things are his. He is overall, and he has decreed and established, and it comes to pass. And he lets men make decisions, but no man does anything that forbids and keeps God's word, way, and will from coming to pass. Amen. He's in charge. Now, if he's in charge and I am seated with him in heavenly places where the charge is issued from, if God be for me, who can be against me? Well, they're going to take away everything. They can have it. Well, they're going to put us all in jail. We'll sing and have a better place. We'll have a free meals to have church in. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I think I was a little overdid it, but I think that a lot of things that uh, God has for man today is because of man's sin. Has there ever been a more sinful vulgar age. I've only lived in one age. I can't say there's never been an age worse than this one. I've never lived in any other one. But I have gone from being born in the 30s, barely, to living all through the, since then, I've gone from when there was no plastic. Nothing was plastic unto where man has gone to the moon a bunch of years ago, and today the phone I carry in my hand is way over my head. People are unrestrained like no other time in history. I saw in the news clip the other night a lady in a courtroom telling a judge in her limited vocabulary, they only had a couple four-letter words and a this or that, and she was telling him what he could do. And, and so, I mean, it's just so vulgar and nasty, but she probably heard that growing up. Kids talk like that to school teachers today. I know one school teacher that became a policeman so he could put him in jail if he called him. <laughs> I don't know that's true. I just made that up. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Never been a time in which it's as bad as it is, mentally, spiritually, and otherwise, it's right now. A time in which a lot of people in this country cannot function without a drug. You realize that? People will sell their souls, they'll sell their bodies for a drug. Because who they are and who we are, they can't live with that. I don't want to be me. I'm so full of junk and, and stuff that I don't see how there's no way I can get rid of all of this and ever be what I ought to be. Maybe if I can alter my mind and be somebody else for a little while, I can live on a different level. But you have to come back. Second highest death rate amongst kids is suicide. Suicide. Things are out of control. 
societies are becoming dysfunctional. They don't know how to talk, don't know how to present themselves. They're so angry. These are the kind of people today that God saves people like this. I don't know why either, but he does. And can you imagine if you had to stand here and had that? I'm not talking about you now. I'm talking about whoever is for it. And you had these dysfunctional souls out there that God loved and saved, and he put them out there. How big a task it is to teach them. They've been taught their whole life. They don't have to learn. If the teacher tells them they have to learn, they fire the teacher. Who are you, man? Tell me what. Well, it's true. I lived so long ago teaching school. When I was teaching school, we used to take them out in the hallway with a paddle, a flat club. That's what they call it. Took him out in the hallway. It's a shop teacher. I even one day told him to wait a minute. I went back and got a piece of maple, ran it through the planer until it was about that thick. Then I drew a paddle on there and I cut the thing out on the bandsaw, sanded down the handle a little bit. I didn't want to hurt my hand. <laughs> Took him out in the hallway and told him to bend over and grab his ankles. I let him have it. Pow, pow, pow. And then while they're doing this here, you could grab them then. Don't you ever again say what you just said. You understand? And that was it. You know what happens today? Instead of holding a paddle in your hand, you're holding bars. And they slide open every now and then. You get to go to the cafeteria and eat, and they put you in there at night, and bars slide back. They push you in jail, in other words. Y'all didn't get it, but they put you in jail. Woman spanks her child at a store. Somebody follows her out, gets the license, takes the lady to court, cost them all their savings to get out of that. Because she smacked a child because he sassed her. She popped him on the head, and that's just not what a child should be able to do. And so they took her to court. As I've said before, I told my mother, they would have locked her up for years and years. If you're smacking a kid on the head in a grocery store, whew. Back to our subject of bearing fruit. A lot of people are willingly bearing a lot of bad fruit. There is a calloused indifference to God. We're emulating other people. We're acting like other people. You watch goofy shows, some of these sitcoms, the, the brief advertisements. It's the dumbing down of America with all the vulgar innuendos and the sexual attractions to all of that nasty stuff, which is making America anti-religious. What do you think your kids are confronted with at school? The same thing. The grandfathers today are the ones that burnt down the campuses in the 60s. When I started teaching school, graduated from college in the early 60s and started teaching school, and then here came all this rebellion in the Vietnam era. The monkeys and the beetles. It was goofy looking, but that was what attracted the younger generation to them because it was goofy. It was a change. And then came the later on, came the sassing and the parental protection of their sassy little nasty kids 
and the whole educational system. People begin to rebel and fight and burn campuses, and now they're presidents, vice presidents, congressmen, senators, bank officials, university leaders. What do you think is going to happen to all your kids? This wasn't part of what I came to say, but I'm here. I don't know why today our youngsters want to go to universities and sit in classrooms full of liberal people, talking them among one thing, talking them out of the existence of the Almighty God. You're paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year to send your kids to hell. The ones that are affected by it, not all of them are. Well, well, how are they going to learn a trade? Well. Go out to trade school. They can't get painted green and yellow out there at the ball game. And, uh, well, probably, probably can't. Probably can't. I'm being facetious. But let me go on with this thing because there's got to be evidence to bearing fruit. There has to be a way to tell. You know, remember Paul spoke to about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9? Some people think that's all we talk about, giving. But he was taking up a collection for the saints who had needs. And he was encouraging them to give. He said, it's not how much you give, it's the spirit in which you give it. He said, you know, we, you've heard about them and all of that kind of stuff. And, and then he said in Philippians, when I was in trouble, you sent to my need. He said, you ministered to my need. You sent a gift. Your brethren brought me something. And I want to thank you for it. Then he said this about giving. You know what? Turn over there. Flipping. Just turn over. You're not that far from it. Just swing back there to Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now, communicated has to do with sharing. It's koinonia. It's a sharing of the course of resources. For even in Thessalonica, verse 16, you sent once and again into my necessity. Notice now, verse 17, here's what it's all about. Not because I desire a gift, but what did he say he desired? Fruit that may abound to your account. Would giving like that for the relieving other people's needs and helping people go on journeys or any kind of giving from the heart when you give, is that fruit? Yeah, that is a way of bearing fruit because it's a decision you made. It's a consequence. So you see, giving can be a fruit. You can evidence that by giving. Now, next one I want to take just a moment with. How about judgment? Is there such a thing as judgment that's connected with fruit bearing? I'll show you. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew 3 and verse 10 why are we turning in our Bible so it cause you paid a lot for it? That's why. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10. Mine didn't cost so much. Well, get a good one. Okay, verse 10. And now also is the axe laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and what? Now, let me ask you a question. What use does God have with a dead tree? None. It's of no value. It's no good. He said he'll cast it down 
If the tree is not producing good fruit, it is good for nothing. Amen? All right. Now, going over there to Jeremiah 17, back in the middle, just for a second, Jeremiah 17, verse 10. Jeremiah 17 and verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try your mind, your reins, even to give everybody who is in this room this morning who hears this somewhere else, give to every man according to his or her ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Now, does that not say if we do wrong, then what we did was bad fruit? If we think wrong, we'll do wrong. Amen. Amen. So you can have bad fruit in your mind and then have bad fruit on your account. But he said, I didn't write this. I will give unto every man according to the fruit of his ways and his doings. All of us in this room, especially from here on, because now we've heard it, at least we've heard it in church. Everything you do, every choice you make bears fruit somehow either to God because it was influenced and a response to God and you did it or it was some other reason. I mean, you did it because that was what was in your heart. Now go back to John 15 and then we'll stay there for a while. John chapter 15, our text. We said in John 15 and verse 2 concerning our fruit or what Jesus said about fruit, he said, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Then he tells us who these branches are again in verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine. May I draw a vine here? Thank you. A vine. And we got a little opening here for a branch. No branch, which is what we are. No branch has a right to the vine. None of you do. Nobody in this room had a right to Jesus Christ. Jesus was in no way compelled. Jesus was not required to make you branches. God did not have to save anybody. He chose to. Because of his love for lost people, he chose to save them. He saved them the way he did with Jesus Christ and so forth. And Jesus Christ is the vine. Now, concerning a vine and concerning our text, he said two things in verse 2. If he has no fruit, he is taken away. Taken away is translated removed in Mark eleven twenty three, where Jesus says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. It's the same word. It means to be taken away no longer be. Jesus said, if you say you're with me, but there's no fruit being born in you, you'll be taken away. God is not the author of death, but life. And the only life there is, is in Christ. There's not a church organization in the world that can make life. Life comes from God. 
and only what issues from God is life. Amen. Show you that in just a minute. He says, and if you're fruitful, if you're responsive to God, if you are one of those who hears and does, maybe not real good, but you're doing it, and maybe not real quickly, but you do it, God will work on you and purge you. He'll whack around on you till he gets more fruit out of you because that's why you were chosen. That was a whole ordained thing he started with. In verse 16 of John, he said, he chose you and ordained you that you should go and bear forth fruit and that your fruit be so inspired that it remains, that it was the mark of God in your life and wherever you left it. That's what is remembered. It was the work of God in a man. It wasn't a man, it was God. And in verse 4 and 5, notice in verse 4 and 5 of John chapter 15, Take verse 4. He said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. Does that mean then that all the nice things I can think of to do, apart from Christ and being inspired to do it because of him, means nothing? We don't want to say that today because everybody's busy. I don't care what you do, how hard you try to do it, you come to this conclusion, the branch. I've got one down here somewhere. You're going to like this. This branch, which I tore off of a tree a while ago, was doing perfectly well out back here until I tore it off of a bush. This branch is incapable of doing anything on its own. It's easy to demonstrate. You just lay it down and leave it alone. Okay, do your thing. It has no thing it can do because it's like us. It's just a picture that God shows us. You're like this. Without a source of life, without divine life, there's no purpose in this thing except to warm yourself by its fire because you, without a source, can do nothing. See, he said, the branch has no power of itself to reproduce, this thing has little red berries on them. I'm sure they're not good for you. But they're dying now. Just like when Mark chapter 11, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, the tree began to die. It didn't look dead. This doesn't look dead. I just broke it off for church. But it is dying because there's no life in it now. The source of this branch's life is gone. It's just a branch. It's just a piece of wood that looks pretty good, but all these leaves will begin to fade and wither. They begin to wilt. You know why? Because there's no life going into them. Now, you and I are compared to this stick. We have no power of ourselves. The only power that we have has to come from another source. This thing can produce nothing. It can make nothing. Not for itself, not for others, not for God. It is just a stick. This by itself is nothing more than an unprofitable servant. You heard that before? Yeah. When you 
being sent out by God have done all the things you learned that you're supposed to do, and you went out and did all of that? Remember what Jesus said? You are still an unprofitable servant because you've only done what you were given to do. This branch has green leaves and little red berries on it because the vine is made like this. This is the life that came out of the vine. This is what it produces. You break it off. You bring it into the church meeting this morning, and you're looking at death. But it looks alive. So the fig tree in Mark 11, probably referring to churches today. It looks like it's alive. It acts like it's alive. It's got a lot of green on it. Jesus looked for what? What did he look for in the fig trees? Fig trees. Fruit. He was looking for fruit. Well, where's the fruit? We got all the program. We, I mean, excuse me, we got all the leaves. Where's the fruit? Everybody's all dressed up. Where's the fruit? There isn't any. Because it's all fabricated by somebody who thought this is what we ought to do to serve God and make God look good. God said, I didn't call you to make me look good. I didn't call you to do something for any of us. I didn't call you to do something for me. I called you to get on the cross and die so that I can hook you up to me and then I can do through you what I want done and I'll get the credit for my glory. Amen. But as long as you attach your name to it and sing your song about it, everybody's going to think you're some high and lofty one and you're not. You're an unprofitable servant. And you're full of people in this room this morning who were not called because you could do anything for God because we can't do anything for God. Like this branch. All right, do something now. Let me see you live now. Start living. You can't. How many of you know you can't? Stick it in water. I tell you what, stick it in the ground. And what will it do? It'll die. Because it's not made to live like that. It's just a branch. It's an expression of the life that is in the vine. And it's nothing more than that. That's all it is. The vine alone is a source of life. Christian fruit is when a branch is grafted in. You're just a branch. You were dead in your what? Trespasses and sins. And every man has a will. And he can be willing to respond to the vine or he can reject the vine. We've already heard that. Now. Look at the vine from it. This is you and me. It's not very flattering. But in our lifetime, in the years before the Lord saved you, what kind of fruit did you have? You were ugly, University of Ugly. You were angry. You were mouthy, moody. You gossiped. You complained. You whined. You were a thief. You were a drinker, you were a carouser, you were a womanizer, you were a manizer, whatever they are today. You were just doing what everybody around you taught you you ought to do. But this is what you were. You were all of this. And everything that came out of you was ugly. That's why your conscience this morning, if it refers to you, that's why your conscience bothers you. You reflect back, you see the way it was. I think of how I was and, and how I lived and all the things I once said and once did. And I am so filthy that a loving, clean vine doesn't have anything to do with me. 
I think of this and this and all these different kinds of little fruits out here that, you know, they came out of my life and all this ugly stuff. All these little leaves on my tree before I got saved, they all spelled death. Death. If you'd asked me and I said, what happens to you when you die? You die today, where will you be tomorrow? I would be in hell. You see, I have made a choice to live the devil's way. I have made the devil my God. And all the filth and the nastiness and everything that's cool and I've chosen to do. And I cannot stand to go to church because when I go, I am reminded of how bad I am. And I don't know how to get clean. So one day God convicts you of your sins. You say, I know all about my sins. He said, I'm going to save you. Why would you want to save me? Because I love you. Nobody really loves me. People use me, but nobody loves me. No. I genuinely love you and care about you. I want to change you and make you fit for heaven. Me? <laughs> yeah. Then he does that work of godly sorrow and breaks your heart. You begin to weep. Because somebody cares about your soul and not anything else. And he brought you to him loaded. I mean, you were loaded with nasty. Everything here was bad. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Oh, now looky here, folks. Looky here. Praise God. I've been brought to Jesus and here comes life. Look at me right in the face. And why doesn't it just flow? Because it's got opposition. What's the opposition? My mind. You want me to do what? How? Oh, man, I, I ain't ready for that. You ever heard that? I'm not ready for that. God says you have no choice. You have no options. This is the way, this is the truth, and this is the life, and there is no other. If you want what is offered, this is the only way you'll ever get it. I'm going to hand you a cross, and on that cross, you're going to die to all your, I can't do that. You're going to give up. You're going to die. Because God loves you enough to save you, but he's not going to save you without effort. That is, you're going to have to do something. You've got to respond. You're going to do something. So what's all this trash mean? Romans 12, 2. Be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of my mind. That's where my thoughts start. My thoughts issued in my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. My thinking is a problem. Now I've got to get my thinking straightened out. So how do I get my thinking straightened out? Teach me thy way, O Lord. And the change begins. The great teacher, the prince of peace, the great refiner of silver, begins his work of cleansing. Didn't Jesus say in John 15, you're cleansed through the word? Didn't he say he would sanctify, set his church apart from the world by the washing of water by the word? 
That's what he uses to teach us. That's why we major on the Word, not programs, not Reader's Digest, but on the Word of God. Because God uses nothing else to change people. All we're doing, I don't care what you're doing. If they speak not, if they, whoever they are in this world, if they speak not according to this word, it's because they have no light. But look what they're doing. I don't care what they're doing. Look at the books. I don't care what they wrote, who they are. If it's not according to this, it is a waste of time. The sinner, the man plowing his field is sinning as he plows. How could that be? Because his regard is for himself and nobody else. He's selfish. He's self-centered. What he does, he does for himself. That's the gear he's in. That's the way he lives. And when God saves him, he deals with that. You're going to have to change. And he'll hopefully put him somewhere in church. He'll hear about the change. He'll be offended. He'll have his hackles up and, and he'll want to go outside and whip the preacher. But God will say, but it's true. What is his opinion? It's the word of God. Paul, how long can you kick against these goads? It's God jabbing you. You want to fight Christians? It's not your problem. Your problem is yourself. God's trying to get your attention. Oh, God. So what happens? Why isn't all this life flowing into all of us and we're all just, woo, like that? Why? Because of this stuff here. We don't want to get rid of it. We want to linger around. We like to think, well, I'm not all that bad. I mean, after all, I mean, come on, not everyone. You know, who's perfect? Huh? This is new age talk. Come on, who's perfect? Huh? Come on. I mean, after all, give me a break. This is new age talk. And when you talk like that, you begin to assume it's all right to keep all this junk in your life and go to church that somehow or another, all this nasty stuff in your life means that you're alive unto God because you added church to it. I go to church now. Big whoop. Whoopie doo. Church can't save you. Not even the church I grew up in can save you. Or yours. Man, we're all saved the same way if we're saved. We're all changed the same way if we get changed. We're all prepared the same way if we get prepared. It's a cleansing work. Nothing from God can flow in through here. He's changing me. Ah, yes. My blessed Savior, I'm not the humble. Hey, you got some good stuff in your life. What about all the rest of it? Oh, he's changing me little by little. Every 48-hour day. Little by little in every way, Jesus is changing me until you get tired of it and you want to do something else because all your friends go to somewhere. They don't have to sit that long and listen to that much and don't have to go through all this legalistic teaching. It's your choice. Do whatever you want to. Just remember, the only chance this branch has, and this is you, is right here. The only way that's ever right is right here. There's no other source. There's no other book. There's no other Holy Spirit. One word, one spirit, one way, and it's his way. Many are called. If you want to be at the end in that company, 
you'll have to make a choice and a decision to live that way. Nobody can make this decision for you. But if you say you're a Christian, you say you're a Christian this morning, there better be some evidence of it. Because if you're the same person today you were 30 years ago, I don't think you are a Christian. I don't necessarily think you're a bad person. Probably like you and all of that. But you don't have a claim to heaven. You keep that arid personality yours around. You keep that thin skin around you. You keep that wanting to please everybody stuff about you. You keep that gossipy thing going about you. And you keep all of that evidence is the fact that whatever God said about that, you said, no. No. I'm not going to change that much. No. You know what? I don't I don't know, I ain't supposed to talk about people, but why would we do that? You know, I know we're not supposed to talk about, well, then why are you going to do it? Because I think after I said, I know we're not supposed to, being knowledgeable, then it's okay to do it. I know we're not supposed to talk about everybody, but I'll tell you something. Where'd that fruit come from? Didn't come from God, did it? How about that angry outburst at the store? I saw a clip the other night. Lady wanted some food, and it was coming too slow. Throwing the napkin holder in front, of her, turning table. I want food. Who raised that child, or did she learn that at home? What if I had pastor that? Whoo, Lord, help all of us. Y'all have to up my pay. That's for sure. <laughs> my goodness gracious. Folks, we are called to display Christ. It is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. When the Spirit of God has his freedom in you, you get love instead of hate, and you got forgiveness. You got joy instead of anger. You get peace instead of stress and turmoil. You get gentleness instead of rudeness. You get kindness instead of rudeness. The Spirit of God comes in to change your whole program. How do we know? We see it. What if we don't see it after 15 or 20 years? He's not working in you. I don't care what you say. You get mad. I don't care what you say. I don't see it. It's not there. You either change or there's no life in your life. You want to be a disciple? This is part of it. Big deal. Bible has a lot to say about it. I want you to turn to one more verse and I'm going to close with it. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. But the Bible says you shall know them by their fruit. Could I say this about you? I can tell being around you by the way you respond or react that you're a Christian. Could I say that? How many of you are Christians? Amen. All right. Read this. Follow me then here. Verse 8, for God is my record how greatly I long after you and all the heart that Jesus has given me. And this is what I pray, that your love here in Shelbyville Christian Assembly may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgments, that you may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled, being filled, Shelbyville, 
being filled with fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. If righteousness issues from your life, God's right ways come out of you, what brought them out? Jesus. Which are, doesn't it say by Jesus Christ? He's a life. Bearing fruit is me surrendering to God. Teach me thy way. I yield my heart and my life to God. And then you got to live it. In this way, folks, God is making disciples out of his people. You shall know them by their fruits. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to deliver us from not only the evil that is in the world, but all the evil temptations that come to us to drag us down and hold us back. I pray in Jesus' name that your words will have the intended effect upon your people today. Not to aggravate, but to convict. Not to depress, but to uplift because it brings hope. Father, we're not yet a perfect people. We do have our moments, and I ask you in Jesus' name to deliver us from all the things that you must judge. We know that whom you chastise, you chastise so they will not be condemned along with the rest of this world. And you said that after chastisement comes peaceable fruit of righteousness. Bring that forth in us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all my burdens down at your feet. Anytime I don't know. Just cast all my cares upon you. I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your Hey